Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome transformational and holistic writing coach, Jean Chung. Jean's work is focused on helping people of color and women entrepreneurs release negative conditioning so they can truly step into their full potential and essence. Jean uses techniques such as tapping and chanting and utilizes North Node astrology to really help people to peel off and get rid of that armor that's keeping them from fully stepping in to their true authentic self. Jean and I have a really in-depth and thoughtful conversation around the state of the world and the yin and yang energies, which are very much out of balance, and the need for restoration of that balance and what that can look like in our world. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes. Very excited to have you on the show. Jean, we've been friends for quite a bit now. Jean, I actually remember the first time you and I chatted, we had met at a networking event and then we're like, we need to talk. And we talked for like a few hours about, I think we started with tarot and then we just got into astrology and the state of the world and all of these things. And we were like, we are very connected in our thoughts and ideas and focus. Yeah. Yeah. And Jean, you are a transformational and holistic writing coach. So you really work with, um, you work with women, you work with people of color, entrepreneurs to really, really release negative conditioning, which to me means like releasing that armor of fear that we have to really allow our true essence, our true selves to show so that as women, as entrepreneurs, we can really step forward and be like, I don't need to be like everyone else. Maybe I can be something all my own. And maybe that's exactly what the world needs right now. Totally. Right. Is more people saying, you know what, just because everyone does it one way or we're told to go this way through the world doesn't mean we have to keep doing it. Because and Gene and I, we chatted yesterday as sort of a pre-chat to this interview. And we're talking about, you know, the way that the world is, we created it this way. It's not the way it has to be. It's not the only way by any means. It's one of infinite possibilities that a world can show up in. But we've created it, I believe, based in fear in a lot of ways. And it's created this society where we're really governed and driven by fear. Or what you might call more of the sort of um, power control energy, which is the yang energy, correct? Um, well, it's more the relationship between yin and yang. I feel that we've been on this trajectory where the yang energy has basically been the priority. It's been kind of dominating the yin energy. And I think we're at this time where we really need to shift. And that's why feminine energy is so important. Why you're doing this podcast. It's about awakening from that part of us. Yeah. Absolutely. So as a transformational coach, is that sort of what you focus on? Like that transformation from conditioned being into a state of more natural, essential being? Yes. So just through my own work on myself, I find it's so important to release emotional issues, traumas, things that hold us rigid in patterns that we use to cope and survive. 
in suboptimal conditions. And now that we are adults, we can unlearn those patterns, release that conditioning, and then start acting from our essence, our authentic selves. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So for those who aren't really familiar with, or we probably heard the yin and the yang, right? That that sign, the balance, the black and the white. But you know, when you break it down, what exactly is the yin versus the yang? Because it's not really good versus bad or dark versus evil. It's just two different energies. Also, some might say it's male versus female. But when you kind of take away all those labels, what is it? How would you describe each? Yeah, well, it's the mystery of the universe. There is light and dark. There is active and receptive. It is just polarity, duality. Um, I am going by this Taoist model of how the world started off as undifferentiated yin energy. And because it wanted to experience the ecstasy of dividing and reintegrating its split into yin and yang. And I think the whole fall metaphor of the Garden of Eden and tasting the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil like that is basically what happened on some level somewhere in the universe and we've been on that trajectory of the yang energy basically sweeping across the globe and dominating and feel like that's the essence of colonization and you know maybe that western impulse it was concentrated in the west and now we're at a point where that overdeveloped yang energy which is i think most strongly expressed in the u.s it is not sustainable and we need to surrender like same as the addict collectively we've been addicted to this way of being that has just been programmed into us and it comes from the ego and fear but we can surrender and integrate on a new level bringing forth our essence so that's what i believe yeah absolutely and i think you know really it truly is pervasive throughout history and i feel like it almost started kind of you know at, in early civilizations it was like you know the the tides could have broken either way right it could have gone one way or another and it really kind of fell more towards as you just described this need for dominating and conquering and gaining power which was it was like okay are we going to focus more on you know coveting and really nurturing what we have or are we going to focus more on growing and dominating and that's the way that we went we went this way of no you can't just sit and you know hold sacred who we are what we have i mean obviously our ancestors you know native americans uh, older civilizations did recognize that right they they were more in that energy of this, the sanctity and sacredness of life but as we became species who wanted to grow and develop and we saw this sort of we created this dichotomy which as you said that's what you know that's why we're in the world that we're in is that we sort of split from this wholeness because we wanted to experience ourselves right yeah i i almost accepted it's inevitable actually yeah perhaps that was the way the energy had to go down and that's how we all got interconnected and and now we have more choice yeah, which is a great thing. You know, we want we will we'll always have choice, right? But I think that's that's why I do what I do. That's why I believe in this podcast and having these conversations because guess what? We have a choice right now. Do we want to keep living like this for a hundred more years, two hundred, however long it takes to because to me the route that we're going, if you're all yang, 
then you're you're going to eventually topple into itself because we can't always just have all of one energy. It'll eventually just sort of, because it needs something to balance. It'll, it'll fall into itself. And so do we want to see what that looks like for us to literally run our, our cells and our planet into the ground where we deplete ourselves of resources, we deplete our, ourselves of meaning, right? Because if, just as you said, we are all addicts. You know, everybody within the society, you can't separate yourself from the rest of society. And we are collectively addicted to results, to power, to, um, the, you know, different experiences that we think we need, right? We're, we're addicted to effects, right? Like, ooh, if I get success, then I'll be, you know, get attention. I'm addicted to that attention, right? Or, or if I, you know, do really well, then people will, I'll finally be worthy. You know, my family will think I'm worthy. And that, so we you know, but we don't really know how to just sit and be with our infinite abundant selves. We think that we need to be doing in order to attain that. I hear that. Yeah. I think um, peer pressure is sort of something that just has always existed and, and, and pushes us into a certain direction. The collective sucks us in to survive. Um, but I do also believe I, I know that the feminine energy also can be toxic. It can be overwhelming and encompassing like perhaps communism or suffocation of individuals so it's really about that balance yes energy balanced and the yang energy balanced and having the yang energy support the yin energy that i think is the sweet spot that we we all are looking for and feel most joy and satisfaction from yeah yes Completely, completely. And it, and it is, and that's what I talk about a lot is that it's not just about divine feminine, which, you know, I'm, I, I focus on because it's what we're lacking, right? It's what we've kind of lost touch with and that really deserves to be introduced now. But the divine masculine is also just as equally important. You know, the, the divine yang is that which allows for, you know, like you said, because if we're all just, it's all just totally equal and even, then we're not being a full expression of our true self, right? A unique expression. So you get to have both, right? You make sure, I always use the tree analogy. You make sure your roots are deeply planted. So you know who you are, you know, what you, what you respect, what you, you know, nurture, what you take care of, but then let's see what can grow from that beautiful soil, from that well taken care of, well rooted, you know, plants. What can we, and to me, that's what masculine is the growth, you know, the growth that can come. But right now I think the growth we see because it comes from more so greed and fear energy what we would call, you know, the not so divine masculine or whatever you want to call it. Um, maybe your ego, right. More, more ego than your soul, right. Is, is overgrown is sort of the focus. I think it's out of balance. It's, it's overdeveloped and it's almost like we're hypnotized by it. Like we believe it's all about going faster and alone and more, 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 more. When honestly, what are you getting out of that? A lot of people are just doing it it's just a, a response or a, a reaction and it's automatic and it's not anything that actually is fulfilling. It will drive you into, you know, the ground. Totally. And that's, I've, you know, I've talked to several friends about that. So, uh, friends who, you know, are not, don't, are not really a part of like the spiritual community. They might think that what I do and talk about is a little bit too out there, but they'll even agree. They'll be like, you know, who does, who does this really work for? You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking capitalism. I think again, like you said, it's a balanced thing, but the capitalism we have now is just so um, it's just this machine that is never ending. There's no end in sight there. To me, there's gotta be like 
some sort of like cap we hit where it's like, yeah, work super hard and be successful and you can be able to do this. But when, when there's this infinite line that you can never reach, then, then everything always needs growth Mm -hmm. and you can't have growth because then you're just going to like exhaust resources that are not infinite. Right. Mm -hmm. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that some people create wealth and they really are about that. And that is what before. I think there is this possibility for us all to experience wealth and abundance, but there needs to be a grounding in the right values and principles for it to be sustainable on all levels. So I think we've been hypnotized by this need to prove and, you know, ego-driven, fear-driven um, impulses that don't really sustain us and aren't really satisfying. I don't think yeah. that people who are at the top who are driven by that are truly happy and fulfilled and healthy. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and so I think that it's just about asking the question of what, well, how do, how do we change this? How does that shift happen? And to me, I think it's, um, again, it's, it's choice, right? We have the choice to see how far we can go with this you know, infinite pursuit of more, more, more. And I think the problem is that, I don't know, I mean, when you try to talk to people right now about this sort of nature of like, Hey, we, this isn't sustainable. People will say like, you're, Oh, you're just like a hippie. You're one of those like do-gooders you're, you know, and it's like, well, no, I'm actually just a realist that like, this is not one. It's not, it's not sustainable. Also, as you said, it's not working for anyone. Like no one's really happy. Even the richest of the rich, you know, they're, you can't get that far without losing a bit of your own touch with yourself in life. So I, I, I'll just be very curious to see how the next few decades pan out because right now the forces that, you know, really control a lot of, you know, big corporations and government, they, they're not looking at slowing down. They're not considering this. And I'm a big proponent of the concept that it's not about destroying what is, but rather building something new focus your energies on that. And I think that, you know, as we build something new and people gravitate more towards that, you don't have to dismantle what was because what was will begin to fall away when nobody supports it any longer. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think creativity is what's needed and creativity can create out of, you know, whatever is. Yes. Yeah. So Jean, you have a really unique and interesting background. You're originally, you're from your Korean, but you grew up in several different places and have been to many, many different countries and continents in the world. And so you have a really, you know, vast concept of different, you know, cultures and societies. And it's your point of view is interesting because different places in the world embody different mentalities. And they're not all like the US or other, you know, really progressive, successful, powerful countries. Mm-hmm. So could you share with us a little bit about like sort of your journey as, you know? Sure, sure. Um, well, my parents were raised in Korea and went to school there and they immigrated right before I was born with my older sister. And then I have a younger sister who was born a couple years later. And I was actually born and raised in Ohio pretty much. And um, that was the 70s and 80s when I was growing up. And, you know, I was usually the only Asian kid in my class and definitely felt the impact of, you know, being a a minority. Mm -hmm. And um, I also had some issues like I was born and my grandmother was, you know, interrupted the bonding between my mother and me. 
And um, then she left when I was two. And my mother really didn't bond with me. My younger sister was born at that time. So I grew up with this, you know, wall of, of like shame. Like my mother doesn't love me. She loves my sisters and not, not me. Like I didn't know what had happened. And um, my parents were very, you know, typical immigrants, really striving for security. And there wasn't a lot of time for emotions. And they didn't have the ability to because they grew up in pre-industrialized Korea and they were not sufficiently nurtured. They had their own traumas and issues. So that was what I grew up in. But, you know, I also was very good at succeeding and people pleasing. That was how I got attention was through achievement. And it ended up getting me into, you know, a private boarding school for high school and then Yale. I graduated with honors and I was popular and I had a lot of outer success. But um, when I graduated, I like dove into this relationship and I moved to New York and I was working in publishing and doing this sort of New York corporate thing sort of corporate was nonprofit, but um, yeah. And it was a time of a lot of emotional upheaval where basically my childhood was over and all of this stuff was just exploding, you know, especially in this relationship that I was in that felt a little bit like my, my relationship with my mother. And um, I um, left New York and the relationship and I came to Seattle where I had a few friends from college who were just basically taking a breather before climbing on their career ladders. And I um, felt like I needed to do that too. And actually, what really um, was my driving goal was to do solo performance because when I was growing up, I had ballet and performing was one place where I actually really felt seen and honest. So that was what spoke to me as I was going through this dark night of the soul. So I was in Seattle for four years and I was doing something called reevaluation counseling, which is this peer counseling network that really looks at how uh, capitalism will socialize us to take on these rigid patterns that suppress mm -hmm. our whole humanity. Like as a woman, we will learn to sacrifice ourselves or you know give too much, or you know, as an Asian Asian person, often there is even more restriction around how much you express yourself. Um, men are conditioned in a certain way. People like who are raised wealthy owning class are also very, very harshly, you know, conditioned in some ways to be very isolated and unable, you know, unable to connect with other groups. Mm -hmm. So these are all the ways that we as human beings have been conditioned to take on this capitalist society. And we in this community use the human tool of discharge, which is basically like feeling your feelings and crying and shaking and getting angry and saying what you have to say. So I just dove into that because I was like, that's what I need. And then I also started putting on solo dance performances. There was this perfect laboratory, this feedback group for choreographers. A lot of them came from different experimental backgrounds. So I really learned that I don't have to be doing dance technique in order to be creating art. And I really plumbed the depths of all the emotional work and found these images and expressed them in more, you know, my own personal vocabulary or more abstract expression. And it was a really powerful way to kind of rebirth myself and unentrain myself from my conditioning. I was also teaching and um, especially this Head Start program where I was working with lots of kids from underprivileged backgrounds, very diverse community, help, helping to organize an Asian American Artists Alliance because I really believe that 
Um, you know, Asian Americans need to express ourselves. You know, we need to be full, creative human beings. And that was something that I really passionately embraced. And then I had an opportunity to go to Korea. And I thought I was going to be there for a year, pay off some credit card debt and teach English and learn about my identity and come back and be, you know, good after a year. But it actually took more than a year. And I ended up being there for seven years. And I had a lot of wonderful opportunities in the international arts arena, worked at this one incredible festival that was in the countryside run by this amazing artist who had been in New York, Shinja Hong. And she um, brought her internationally famous artist friends to this outdoor stage and did like a week of workshops and performances that was just so fun. I mean, I feel like this was just the template of the vision that I carry about how we can interact when we are in our own elements and really embracing our authentic selves uh, and then expressing that and, and communicating in this playful environment. There's so much to be healed. And I, I feel like I really got to experience that. Like there were a lot of Japanese artists. There's a lot of bad blood between Koreans and Japanese. And we'd have this, you know, bickering sometimes or bantering, but it was somehow okay and innocent and we could actually you know laugh at it and um so that was an incredible experience i worked with eiko and koma and i i watched kazuo ono the father of buto perform um yeah utsumi nobihiko who's a, a visual artist from japan he was a really amazing person that i met so i had a lot of great experiences i also traveled around a lot mostly asia but also germany for a bit and on the way back i traveled through europe and um all of that was so impactful. Like growing up in Ohio, I think I went to France when I was 16 for a little bit and I was like, what is going on? But I just really got aware that cultures are different. They're able to emphasize different aspects of humanity. They're rich. And when we connect with different cultures, it's so humanizing. It helps us reclaim aspects of being a human that we might not have been able to growing up where we did. So it was a wonderful experience. I felt like I could see where the U.S. came from. Like growing up in Ohio, I was always just like, I guess I'm just supposed to do this. But like, I have no idea why. And then I like, you know, saw Germany. There's a castle there. I was like, oh, fairy tales actually are from here. They really happen for a reason. And um, yeah, I mean, also like I saw the Harry Potter movie and I saw these halls. I think it was actually set at Harvard or Yale. And I was like, oh, that's where that culture comes from. Like, click, click, click. I kind of got more of the emotional background, the family background in Korea. And then I got a lot of the, you know, other background, uh, cultural ideas of the U.S. from Europe. But, you know, I think that a lot of us in America are just so clueless about who we are because we don't know what else is out there. We don't really understand. And so we're just kind of running on automatic I remember traveling around Europe on this bus tour and there was swarms of Australians and also North Americans. And I, I could feel like that desperation, like to get that next trinket or that next photo op or see that next landmark. But it was just, you know, like people just mindlessly chasing after that next thing. And it, it felt really hollow. And I felt really grateful that I had spent time connecting with my roots and understanding my connection to my roots and being my extended family. Like it really felt so healing to go through that experience. 
And then now back in the States for 20 years, I've actually come back to Seattle, kind of happenstance. My younger sister was here. I lived with her for a year and then I stayed. And it's kind of been my time on the roof, the human design, if you're into that modality. There's 20 years that as a role model martyr, which is my profile, I needed to really kind of understand everything that I experienced in the first 30 years of my life, which roughly happened when I came back. And uh, so I've experienced a lot and not just, um, you know, in the rest of the world, but like Seattle's very different from the East Coast. And I used to just hit my head on the wall thinking like, what is wrong with this place? And then I started to realize after I'd come back from Korea, oh, it's like another culture. It comes from like, you know, the Nordic roots. It's different from the East Coast and there's reasons for it. And that really helped me too. So I, I just learned to be more aware of... Um, the nuances and the differences and energy, the energy blueprint of different cultures. Like I have this whole like dissertation I could write about the three East Asian cultures and how they're different ways the yin energy and the yang energy interacted mm. and how each culture kind of has this theme, this sort of energy kind of theme. Like I'm sorry, China was like this landmass and the length of history and the amount of characters, the amount of people like always grand, grand, grand. There's some joke that I've heard about how, you know, you never call like um, a Chinese restaurant Bob's, you know, it's always like Grand Tunan Palace or, you know, Peking Dynasty, you know, it's, it's all about that. And it, it, you know, built a wall around themselves to shut the West out. So that was the yin energy basically shutting out the yang. Whereas Japan is kind of like the metaphor of the islands, where it's like minimalism to the point of implosion, like the seppuku ritual like their cultural precept of having the outside be the opposite of what they express, like the islands and like the food. Like I remember asking some kids that I was teaching in Korea, like, what do you think of Japanese culture? And one girl shouted out, small food and no spoon. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> and Korea is like the peninsula between the mass of the land of China and the islands of Japan. And the key energy theme of Korea, I feel, is this dynamic of suppression, like kimchi buried underground that comes up fermented and spicy and explosive. And Korean people are kind of like that too. We can be very hot under the collar if we feel you're looking down on us, but we're generally very generous and you know kind. So there's that dynamic there. I heard one person say like, living in Korea is like being trapped in a closet with a bunch of manic depressives and you know, soul city life can be pretty intense and, and it does sometimes feel that way or felt that way. But it also mirrors Korea's history, which has been to be the hermit kingdom. It was invaded a lot early on. And then of course it was mm. divided and it was you know, colonized. And there's just this energy of like having been invaded, but maintaining its roots and then being explosive. I feel like that's why Korean culture is so popular now is because they have so much creative energy because of that dynamic. So those are some of my thoughts on culture and energy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And then, so where, how do you see these? So if different cultures have sort of a different relationship with their balance between yin and yang, do you see them all sort of shifting at this? Do you think they all need to be rebalanced and evaluated? Have you, have you been in a culture that felt like they really kind of had it figured out a little bit, like a good balance? In different areas. I mean, the happiest countries I've heard, like the Nordic countries are very happy and um, Japan, perhaps. I mean, I think there is that sweet spot of yin and yang. 
And I think we need more of the yin energies from these cultures to, you know, balance out cultures where things are not in balance. I think we could learn a lot from France, for example. Like I remember walking through Paris and it was like 6 p.m. and it, the light was just right and people were like meeting friends and family in restaurants and there was just such a feeling of like joy. Like mm. what it's like to be a human is to enjoy connection with your family and friends over, you know, yummy food and this perfect, you know, twilight. And there's just such a feeling of peace. And I'm like, we don't really yeah. have enough of that in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, so often in the U.S., I feel like it's rare for people to truly enjoy, you know, because just as you said, there, there is sort of, I get this image of Francis where like people are always enjoying, like whether it, because it feels more leisure. So it's like, oh, I get to work and I'll, I'll slowly start my day and I'll get the work done I need to do and no pressure. And then I'll spend the rest five hours of the day just, you know, meeting and, and dining and eating and, and indulging and enjoying, right? Whereas here, even like people like dread going out. Like people are like, oh, I guess I have to go out now and socialize. And then I, there's so many have tos, I feel like in our culture where because everything is so, we don't know how to just to be and just do for pleasure as much. So it's like, okay, got to get up, got to go meet friends. Then I got to go, you know, do this. And then I have to go to work at 8 a.m. on Monday and do it all over again. So it's, and the other thing about the States that I think is interesting is that you know, sort of because of the way it was established, there isn't a lot of, you know, authentic natural culture here. It's It's been a, a mix, but not one culture was embraced. So nobody really, I think that, you know, different cultures kind of brought their own flavor, but those who sort of didn't really have anything, it's kind of bland, if that makes sense. Like there's nothing that really is that meaningful to a lot of Americans. Like we attach to certain ideas, like our established national holidays and different things. But again, those kind of just becomes like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Now it's like, and I mean, I'm not knocking holidays. Like I love Halloween. I think Christmas is great, but we all kind of do it very methodically. Like, okay, here it comes again. We have to do our shopping list. We have to do all this. We have to do the dinner. We have to do Thanksgiving on this day. And I just, you know what I mean? It feels very detached from anything very meaningful to people here. Yeah. Well, because it's not US, ours, right? It's not ours. We kind of just took these different ideas from different cultures and kind of like try to work with it. But it doesn't, because when you are around people who it truly is a part of like their soul, like their deep, rich ancestral heritage, you can tell like it really is meaningful. That's important to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, food that comes from traditions and recipes is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a hit. Tastes good, the fat, the sugar, whatever. And then it's, you know, we want the next hit. So I feel like the US energy blueprint is kind of like a firecracker. And it's interesting, you know, the origins. It's like the rebels from England came here to basically like explode because yeah. they were suppressed over there, but they yeah. took over everything else. And then we're still on that, you know, energy trajectory. Maybe we need to like sort ourselves out and get still and make amends. Um, That's a huge thing. That's another thing that um, I I talked to somebody on the show once about sort of the analogy of, you know, the micro versus the macro. So like one individual, isn't that different from like a whole culture, a whole society. And I feel like collectively, you know, we as America have not addressed the history of our trauma. I mean, 
goodness knows we're still creating trauma on a daily basis for people in our country. But the, the you know, the blood that's been shed and the things that we've done, we have not acknowledged it. We have not come to face it. We've not had that moment of reclamation where we sort of make peace with what has happened. And, and we're suffering the karma. We're suffering the karma. Like the US yes. is the only culture in the world where we have homelessness the way we do, you know, rampant family homelessness yeah. and also school shootings doesn't happen in other cultures. Like that's that firecracker energy. It's yang yeah. energy that's so developed. There's no not enough connection. So many people fall through the cracks. Yeah. I feel like, you know, a lot of people get chewed up and spit out by the machine. Yes. Yeah, because it's a make or break. It's the fast pace where it's like you either keep it up or you get left behind. And and we act as if people who can't keep up don't do they not deserve a life here? Do they not deserve their livelihood, their basic needs, Matt? We basically say no. And I think it's because rather than, like you said, connection and cooperation, it's all about competition. Yes. Again, yet in the end, healthy competition is it can make life exciting. We challenge ourselves. We but when it's only about competition. We don't, we don't care about anybody but ourselves. And that's scary. It's an overemphasis on individualism to the point yeah. that we're isolated and depressed and have disease and the allopathic model of like shooting off all the germs and all the enemies isn't actually working. A lot of diseases are not curable by the allopathic model. And they turn to acupuncture. I know an actual Qigong master who was part of a U.S. congressional hearing because he had just, you know, he had ways to solve these diseases that US had, the U.S. had marked uncurable. So we need these other approaches and energies and perspectives. What we've got hasn't, isn't answering our problems anymore. Yeah. No, not at all. Yet we refuse to try something else. We refuse to really let go of them. We just keep grinding away with the same ingredients that are not creating what we want or need. And then we keep, like you said, banging our head about like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this being solved? You know, like the, the, the issue of homelessness are, you know, over time, cities are, the issue is growing and growing, even though we've put billions of dollars Billions of dollars into trying to solve homelessness, but it's because it's not, it's such a deeper problem. You can't, it's not a topical solution. Exactly. It, it goes down more to the nature of humanity, right? You can't, you, you need to understand that it's, and also that it's an issue of addiction, of yeah. mental illness, drug abuse. It's, it's so much more than just pouring money onto something. It's why are these human beings feeling disconnected, feeling like they need to, you know, seek out these, these means that are keeping them sick and addicted and all this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because on one hand, we're, you know, one of the most powerful nations in the world. On the other hand, we're in a dire situation. And that's the issue. It's the fact that power never gives up anything without a struggle. It never has, and yes. it never will. So mm -hmm. that's why I see it in some way, a little bit objectively. I, I think it's the way the energy is going down and the way to solve it comes from each of us individually. When yeah. we tap into our stillness and our own, you know, different vibration, like you can't solve a problem at the same level that it was created. Created, we yeah. all individually need to find our inner calm and that part of us that's connected to the source of all things and, and create solutions around us for ourselves and the people around us. And I believe that's how we will eventually shift 
the outer culture. It's just, you know, has to happen one person at a time. And then creativity and ideas can impact the whole. But yeah, it's like we can't solve it from the same level. And the rest of the world, you know, looks up to the U.S. The U.S. does have power. Yeah. So people in France are running themselves ragged. And, you know, it's like it it has that ripple effect, too. So yeah, it's a spiritual problem. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and also what you said is a huge thing. And it's in our country, but it's really our whole world, which is that power does not want to let go of power. And what uh, that makes me uncomfortable because when we have national leaders or anybody talking about solutions, these are not people who are willing to compromise certain things, right? Which is giving up any power. So it's like, how can we, because, because equaling and balancing is going to require some people to let go of some amount of power that they have, but nobody wants to do that. What's that? I think the power will be taken from them at a certain point. Just the um, the level of light that rises is going to topple the darkness. I think it yeah. happens in this organic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can people be a part of that? How can they be a, be a part of Because you said it's the individual and it is. It has to start with us. Yes. Well, it's transformation. So it's connecting with your authentic self through whatever practice practices work. Me chanting the past three years has really transformed my life. Mm-hmm. When I chant, I feel this chant, which is Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, the Soka Gakkai community. It's basically the Lotus Sutra that calls forth my inner Buddha. And I feel it. I feel like this vagus nerve action and maybe it's doing something in my brain because I feel like I, I start shifting out of the ego mindset and I start feeling connected to the universe, the universal mm-hmm. energy. And then I get up and I start doing things that I've been procrastinating on. Chanting for me also, um, creativity, creative practices, nature, um, service, being part of communities and really doing things for the greater good. Like these are all things that help me feel more part of the whole. And I think that that is the general direction that we need right now, that I need to um, have a more fulfilling life, have an impact, um, bring forth my gifts. So we need some time to heal and look within, but we also need time to be of service to those who we could help. And that is how I think things can start moving forward in the right direction. Yeah. Now, what kind of chanting do you do? You know, people want to, and why does chanting help? What is it about it? Is it, is it because, is it sort of that rhythmic sound? Like it's sort of the, um, like almost sound healing where you're just like continuous sound motion that you're making that kind of helps to, like you said, there's, um, you know, when you kind of disconnect from the ego, it's because you're kind of getting more connected with your yourself and something else other than your yourself. Right. Yes. I mean, I think that, um, I listened to a lecture several years ago that talked about how the brain hasn't been on our screen of consciousness. We've thought of it as part of our identity for so long, Mm -hmm. which fits with this whole idea of the yang trajectory. Like we think that we are our identities, our brains, but it's actually an organ that can be healed like any other part of the body. The body, you know, is the brain is part of the body. And when we actually treat it systematically through things like sound healing or neuroscience or EMDR or tapping, like these things that actually impact the brain as an organ, then we can get out of the frozen states that often are, you know, our modern condition. 
addiction and fear and being driven, workaholism. And we can start being more in our bodies, embodied and grounded, connected to our spirit, guided by our intuition, able to connect, be intimate, be open. Like I think these are the types of directions that would be balancing right now in our culture. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's so, you know, important to emphasize and encourage to people is that, you know, and as a mental health therapist, that's something that, you know, I believe in wholeheartedly is that our, our brain is truly just a tool for us. It's not who we are. It's just something that, but it's, it does what it's, it does its job very well, which is it will be programmed. It will be programmed the way that you ask it to be. Okay. This is what I focus on. This is my, what my need, my, what I'm doing. But if you program it to be anxious and fearful and to have the, you know, it's going to, you know, develop these pathways, neuroplasticity, right? You can readjust your mind. You can readjust these pathways if you continuously focus or think a different way. Our brain is very, very, um, it can be um, regenerated. It can be recreated. And, but I don't think many people know how. And often like they just don't know how to get out of these loops they're in, right? Of being in fear, of being anxious, of being overwhelmed, stressed all the time, which is not good for our brains or any part of us. Stress is terrible for us. Right. You wanted to know how chanting works? Yeah. And I don't know that I'm the complete authority, but from my experience with it and things that I'm learning... I do think that sound is very powerful. They say it's the origin of creation. Yeah. And um, when I chant, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, I'm basically affirming that I have the power within me to bring forth. And my own life force is activated. Also, I think um, the O sound is connected to the heart chakra. And this is a way to basically connect my heart and my brain. Like as I chant, I feel like that energy is circulating. I'm connecting with my heart, what my true desires and intentions are. And it's flowing through my body, calming my vagus nerve, informing my whole organism. Like I'm a big fan of Carl Rogers. He's an early psychologist who's talked about... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The wisdom of the (laughs) organism. Like that's what we need right now. We need to break free of our mental conditioning that's telling us all kinds of crazy stuff. And with the rest of our body, the rest of our intelligence, our hearts and the wisdom of our organism. There's so much that we know in our bodies if we are able to be embodied and connect with that and not just be running around like chickens with our heads cut off. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Could you do a little example of chanting for us, Jean? Sure, sure. So I'd love to hear it. Nam means devotion to Myoho means the mystic law, which is basically that everything has the Buddha energy in it. Renge is the simultaneity of cause and effect, um, like the lotus that seeds and blossoms at the same time. To me, that means we're all connected. And as I wake myself up, I wake up the world around me. And kyo is the sound. So when I say that, I actually feel like I'm ringing myself like a bell, like that renge feels like... And I'm waking myself up and I feel better. Even after five minutes of chanting, my brain is more awake. 
my heart is open. I feel more alive. You know, it's this energetic shift. And I also feel like I'm an example. If you see somebody around you that looks like they're loving life, it is a good thing. You're like, hey, I want some of that. That's possible. And you help other people start feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's a reel you can do on Instagram sometime as a little intro to chanting. Because I would love to start incorporating that. Uh, it's that a sounds, good thing. That it's sounds lovely. a major shift in my life. And people can look it up. SGI.USA.org or SGI.org if you're not in the U.S. And there's also an app um, that you can look up, SGI app. And I think there's also a podcast app as well. They have a podcast called bootability.org. Okay. Lots of good stuff. Fantastic. Thank you. And you know what you said, Jean, I agree wholeheartedly in that, you know, so often right now, our it seems so overwhelming the way that our world is. And it seems so powerful, the direction that it's going, which is not the way most people want it to. It feels like there's no possibility. But the thing about life <laughs> is that just as you said, when enough, when it happens on an individual level and enough people start opening up and awakening to a new way of being, the whole world could change in an instant. You know, as, as strong as it feels, all it takes is just a shift in belief or perspective. And we're not, this isn't even our reality anymore. It's just gone because we create our reality. And it just feels really strong because we're, we're all agreeing to this reality right now of scarcity, of fear, of anxiety, of like, we need to, you know, struggle, struggle, struggle to survive. But when we disconnect from the ego and we see that we are this eternal source, that we're, we're never... A, at Je- we're never jeopardized. We're never our our life is never at risk. Truly, right? Like our true essence. In the, on the ego, in you know the this plane in, in the world, we can die to this life, but we are eternal beings. And to me, when you do stuff, when you chant, when you meditate, when you do anything that releases you from you know this current world, your body, your mind, you recognize like, oh, it's all infinite right in here. And I think we can spiral upwards just as quickly as we can spiral downwards. Oh, yeah. If not faster, take off like a rocket. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Jean, another um, modality that you use is tapping. Can you share? Because I hear that's pretty popular now. It's pretty common. And but I, I don't think many people understand it. Like, how could this work? But it is very effective. It's amazing. I did a session with you once, actually. And I was going through, I had like some news come in and I was really stressed around it. And just one session, it really does allow for, you know, this rebalancing, calming of the nervous system, of our bodies, our minds. I think it was 15 minutes on the phone. We just did it quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it took. Yeah. So basically, EFT or emotional freedom technique is acupuncture without the needles. And it evolved from early experimentations by this psychologist, Dr. Roger Callahan, who was experimenting with this woman who had a fear of water. For a year, he did talk therapy and there was no shift. And then he was playing around with acupuncture points and he um, he had her tap or he tapped on her you know, one meridian, stomach meridian, and um, there was a shift and she was no longer afraid of water. So he would create all these different algorithms for all these different issues. And then this 
Stanford educated engineer, who is also a performance coach, Gary Craig, created emotional freedom techniques, which is just one engineered, you know, algorithm that will hit all the major meridians and will solve, you know, most issues. So tapping starts by first tapping on um, either the side of the hand or rubbing the sore spots. And I don't quite understand why this works, but it's to set yourself up to be able to release, deal with any um, self-sabotage or psychological reversals by setting things up and basically saying, even though I'm feeling nervous about this podcast, I feel it in my belly and it's about a three, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And then you do that a few times and then you start tapping. There's this top meridian and then the inside of the eyebrow the outside of the eyebrow and under the eye, under the nose, in the dip of the chin, in the collarbone points, under the arm about four inches, on the little ribs. And then I throw in this one, the insides of the two wrists. That's one round. And that is going to help release any energy blocks that are associated with the thought that you just brought up into mm. your system. And it works. And you can work on any problem and tap out all the different aspects. Like maybe your fear of heights has to do with an experience you had when you were 10. Maybe it also was impacted by something your mother and father said when you were, you know, four. I don't know. And you tap out all the different aspects of this of a, an issue, of a thought field until you really clear it. And mm -hmm. then you have freedom. Emotional yeah. freedom. Freedom. It's a great word. I love that word. That's the other thing that I associate most with the shift that's happening is, is freedom. We, if we, beans are, I feel are not so free right now. We're very, cause I feel like the yang is, a, is more constricting, right? It keeps us kind of locked in this, con, these conditions, these, con, this conditionality of you only are if, right? You're only a value if this, you're only lovable if this, where the yin is like so open. But like, you you know, again, the balance is that you can't be so open that you, you have disconnect completely and you're not, you're just like totally all over the place, but you can't have so much constriction that you're locked in this one small concept of yourself and feel like you can't break out of it. So the balance is like this awareness of, oh my gosh, I can be totally and completely me. And that's a unique, amazing, glorious thing. And each one of us has a, a brilliant light, a brilliant part to play in this whole expression that is yes. humanity. Amen. Right. <laughs> when we're fully expressing our essence, that we impact the rest of the world, you know, to our utmost. Yeah. yeah. You know, the other day I woke up and I'm grateful to hear that Greg Braden talks about this paradigm of competition and moving into this paradigm of cooperation that gives more, you know, words to the basically my similar, my same idea. Mm -hmm. And then I think perhaps that helped me kind of gestate on that overnight. And in the morning I woke up, I was like, yeah, it's like we're collectively waking up and acknowledging that we've been in this abusive relationship collectively yes, yes. You know? this addictive toxic abusive relationship in all of our society it's just not yeah. it's not healthy it's not working it's not conducive to well-being and freedom we're yeah. all locked in these chains we're hypnotized by it we believe like this is what the cool people do this is what we got to do 
Yeah. That's all there is. And then as we slowly, you know, like break free of this abusive relationship and get back to ourselves yeah. and nurture ourselves, we can let go and we can shine a light and we create, you know, support around ourselves that sustains us. And we start doing that and showing other people that it's possible. And other people are like, what has she got that I don't have? I need some of that, you know, yeah. like letting go of some of their conditioning and their patterning and finding out more. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I think it's, it is also is challenging because kind of like being stuck in an addiction or in a toxic relationship, you can know darn well, it's not good for you, but it can be very seductive. There can be something very enticing about it. Like, Oh gosh, I know this guy is just bad news, but Oh gosh, do I feel good when I'm with them? And is it ever fun when those highs and the lows and then the intensities, but just like anything else. And, and that's what I'm curious about this time is it takes what it takes to really kind of bottom out and decide once and for all, I am done. I'm done with it. As good as it might feel, I'm exhausted. It's not working. It's not serving me. I'm tired of being unhealthy. I want to be free. And, and, and it's the question of when will humanity collectively decide in a, you know, a great enough capacity? Because we don't need everybody to agree. We just need a, um, what do they call critical mass? Yeah. Which is not even like, I don't even know if it's 50%. It's like enough that it just is, has gained momentum that it will have enough of an impact. What's that? One hundredth monkey. Yes. Yeah. Right. Can you explain? I know that I've heard that phrase. That's like the one yeah. that pushes it over the edge, right? Yeah. I think a bunch of monkeys started washing their sweet potatoes in water instead of eating them with the sand on it. And then when that hundredth monkey caught on, they all did it. I mean, that's what yeah. the story I've heard. I've heard some people debunk that whole thing, but I think it's mm. probably useful to tell that story. <laughs> it is. It is. Awesome. All right. So we, we've got tapping, you know, we've got chanting, but also something you work with, Jean, that I'd love for you to share a bit about is um, North Node Astrology. Because we've got, you know, physical things we can do, but then there's also really embracing more of a cosmic concept and understanding of ourselves and what's conducive to our growth. What sort of is our blueprint for how do we grow? How do we learn? What do we have? You know, who are we? Yep. So, you know, when I was in Korea, I was just so confused. I had gone there to pay off the debt and learn about myself, but I was like really in angst. I felt like I had done everything right. I'd been a good girl. I graduated from an Ivy League school with honors and I was popular, whatever. And then why am I in so much pain? And also my family of origin did not support me. I basically went beyond the tribe and they were going to stop me if it took every last you know, ounce of strength in them. They were like not interested in supporting me. And I'm like, I'm just trying to like live my life. Like what is wrong with you that you can't let me be happy, you know? Yeah. So I just was so confused. And then I met this Canadian woman in Korea and she like read my astrology chart. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, somebody knows what's going on. I was like so incredibly amazed because I'd never totally gotten into it before. Yeah. So I started get, getting professional readings and learning more about it. And I don't actually know when I learned about the North Node exactly. If it was in Korea, if it was in the States, it might've been back in the States. But I found this book by Jan Spiller, Bless Her Soul. She's an incredible astrologer, incredible human being. She's passed recently in the past few years, but... Um, she wrote many books and one is Astrology for the Soul. And I highly recommend people get it on Amazon, but get it from your local independent bookseller if you can. 
And um, I hear Jennifer Aniston has it on her night table. So, you know, oh, I'm highly recommended. But um, <laughs> North Node of the Moon is basically a cycle of about a year and a half. And it's where the North Node of the Moon is, you know, which sign it's in. And um, it tells you about your soul lessons this lifetime. It tells you about your best approach. So it's in a sign. So my North Node, for example, is in Aries. So the more I can act like an Aries, if you know any Aries people, they do their own thing. They don't give a crap about what anybody else thinks. They often bump their heads when they're angry, I've heard. <laughs> and they're just, you know, here I am. They're like the baby of the Zodiac, you know? And Maybe. The more- I always see them as like sort of like the emperor, like this fiery, because they're a fire Absolutely. sign too. They're like, like a leader. They're like, ah, I will do this. But they're the start of the Zodiac. They're just that first of... Um, you know, that burst of life, that's, you know, the Aries glyph is the sprout, you yeah. know, it's also the same shape as the fallopian tubes and the eyebrows. It's amazing. Like astrology is deep. You yeah. Know? Symbols are just archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, you know, cross-cultural. They didn't just get made up. It's not just moo. These are like ancient traditions that guided people like they are, there is substance there. And even if it's fictitious, like if enough people believe it, it actually becomes part of the cultural consciousness. So anyway, I believe in it. And it's helped me because the more I act like Aries, the easier things are. And the more I'm stuck in my past life conditioning, if I even believe in past life conditioning, I kind of do, which is Libra, the opposite sign. Mm. And I'm like standing on a soapbox arguing for justice and getting you know, angry that people aren't fair to me. And I kind of just start going this downward spiral. Mm-hmm. I have to be fair with myself. I've got to be you know, selfish. I have to have constructive self-interest and be moderate in my giving. And these are against the way I kind of you know, automatically go sometimes. When I'm stressed, I'll, I'll kind of go in this old pattern that doesn't work. So I have learned that is such a key to my success is just follow my impulses. Don't worry what other people think. Be independent. Be courageous. You know, just get myself out there. And when I do, I do attract the right people and opportunities and things start to just feel good. Mm. there are other people who have the opposite north node so my mother has north node in libra she's the opposite of me and she actually approaches everything like a warrior she's in her airy south node and she thinks she's in her past lifetimes on the battlefield (laughs) she's like got to protect her interests and like who are you and why don't you do it like me and it's all about me so she actually needs to learn how to give without expecting anything in return Mm -hmm. and when she does She's such a powerful warrior. She really helps people and then they flow back to her. And that's what she ultimately wants. So it's really amazing information that you're not necessarily going to know. It's not necessarily intuitive. It's kind of a blind spot. And when you learn about it, you may have done it, you know, incidentally here and there and found things worked and maybe you've gone with it. You've really developed that way. But there are also people who really are stuck in a south node pattern. Yeah. Find themselves really frustrated and angry and unable to move forward. They don't know why. So combining north node astrology with tapping to release negative Mm. emotion and stuckness works like a charm. And people start feeling good and they start seeing things in a new way. 
and they start taking actions towards their deep desires and dreams and things start moving along. And and really kind of figuring out what is, you know, what's most beneficial for them to embrace in this lifetime or like their, their mode or means of like pursuit and progress. Cause just as you said, some people will hold to these old, you know, um, the way that they tend to these tendencies. Right. And it's, I think, and so as you were saying, the idea is your South note is like maybe what you've done in your past lifetimes, you've gotten really comfortable with this one way of doing things, but it's saying no, because every lifetime we come here to grow, right. We come here to change and grow. So if we keep doing the old stuff, it's not going to benefit us. We have to shift the way we do things, which is hard, but when we do, it's like, bam. So that's interesting that you say that way. Now I need to go look more into my, North and South node because I had someone bring it to my attention about a year ago, and my my North node is in Taurus. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and currently the North node for the for the whole world is in Taurus. The Moon's North node is in Taurus, so it is a good time to do those Taurian things, and our Taurian areas will flourish. Yeah, and Taurus people will tend to do well right now. Okay. So, and we want to let go of the South node in Scorpio. So yes, you definitely do because that's your setup, but all of us perhaps will benefit more by moving towards the Torian approach and less towards the Scorpiotic approach, except for people who have North Node in Scorpio. Mm, Interesting. So then what, okay. So when I think of Taurus, I think of someone, they're an earth sign and they're very determined, like they, but they're also, they can be a little bit stubborn, but to me, that's kind of saying like, because... It's, it's like stubborn. there's a good side of stubborn. It's yes, five step quality control. You know, after Aries that shoots forward, you have the quality control of Taurus, keeping things real in the senses, in the present. Yeah, so we've had past lifetimes where you have been Scorpio energy and really gone down that path, and now if you keep going that way, you're out of balance. Yeah. So you actually need to move towards taking things step by step, feeling in your comfort zone, in your boundaries, honoring other people's boundaries and comfort zones. Mm. And that's when things build for you in a sustainable way. Mm. Very interesting. And then so since it's collective right now, what if people are trying to move away from like Scorpio, what would that be? Because when I think of Scorpio, I think of more like reclusive, like a little bit sort of in like the shadowy parts. I don't know. What do you... You know... You should talk to an astrologer because I really focus on the North Node for the individual. I don't actually, I'm not an astrologer. I'm not somebody who really understands all of the ins and outs of transits and everything. Um, I know enough, you know, so that I can like understand the gist of it. But yeah, yeah. look it up. Everybody. I'll, look look it up. Up. I'll have another astrologer on the show. I've done, I've had one astrologer. I've had many people who are like fairly well versed in astrology, but I need like a power hitting one that can kind of break it down for all of us please do that'd be great (laughs) yeah yeah well but that's still helpful and thank you for for bringing that to our attention because i don't again all to me all of these things whether i think you mentioned human design earlier astrology some people go into gene keys tarot everything is there's different ways because everything is very intricate and it's a different way to me it's the universe trying to explain the ultimate truth in various ways, which is the the unbelievably intricate and complex systems that create who we are that are actually very like they they are there's no coincidences, there's nothing like out of the realm that makes perfect, beautiful, synchronistic sense to me. Right. Yeah. But we just don't know. So it's like when you understand more of like your framework in like 
astrologically, whatever way, then you kind of get more in the flow, in the groove of like what's most aligned with like what your soul is really learning for to grow and evolve in this lifetime. Well, I think of it this way, like as we are shifting out of this paradigm and unlearning our conditioning, the more we're able to understand ourselves as energy, we are an energetic blueprint that came into the world at a certain moment of time, just like the bud blossoms at a certain moment. You can't lose that. It happened for a reason at a certain point in time. And that is who we were meant to be in the world at this point, you know, in this lifetime. So all these different systems and incredible, um, you know, traditions and tools like human design, human design is a tradition. It's only been around a little while, but um, they really help us understand ourselves in this way that breaks us free of our conditioning and sees ourselves in this... um, this other way that so yeah i'm still getting into human design i've just been studying it really since january but it's amazing it combines like teaching and physics and genetic information and astrology and um yeah a chakra system it's it's incredible it really looks at us as evolutionary we're the workers and um i do best when i respond so you invited me to the podcast and I'm responding. That is correct for me. But if I just charged out there with all this information, it might not be as effective. You know, if it was somehow called forth from me, good. If I'm just rushing out there with all this energy, probably is going to be a little too much for people. So I have a certain strategy that works for my energy blueprint. And knowing about this is very liberating. Then I don't get caught in this conditioning about like, got to post on social media Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, do this, do that. You know, that might work for certain types, but honestly, for me, it might not. So all these ways to understand ourselves in a more nuanced, energetic way, I think would be very liberating from conditioning. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we need. We need liberation from our conditioning. We need freedom. You know, we really need to release this conditioning. And then everything starts to change and we get more freedom and we live more joyous in lives. We get to, you know, really just be in the bliss of life. And we get to know who we are and what our purpose is and feel great about that. Celebrate that. Know that that's our divine path. And a lot of pressure from, you know, comparing ourselves to other people or thinking we have to fit in. We are look within develop that, express that. There's only one of you. There's no competition. Yeah. And how exciting is that? Like there's literally only one of you. You get to express that full as fully as you like. Mm-hmm. And as you know, and that can be, it's, I mean, gorgeous. It's an f- amazing thing, but it's just such a, a tragedy that so many of us feel because of comparison, because of these standards and conditionings, most of us toss ourselves in the reject pile and we're like, well, I lost out. Yeah. yeah. Missed that boat. Yeah. Didn't do that right. Yeah. And again, it's kind of like what we're talking about capitalism is that, you know, this conditioned, like these very specific rules about who's valuable and who's not really doesn't work for anyone because you can talk to someone who's like at the top of the whatever, like maybe they're the most successful or attractive. All these people still are rarely ever very happy. They usually suffer with the same things that everybody else does deep insecurity, deep fear, stress, anxiety. Nobody's like, you know, really getting out unscathed here. And it's because these these rules are not meant for us. I agree. 
I'm sure they have incredible imposter syndrome because they're succeeding against their nature. They're just fitting yeah. into something that people want. It must be yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and especially, you know, people who gain notoriety and success for like fitting into a very, like, oh, this person is that. And we love, and, and, you know, people will say, like, well, if you, if people have one particular way that they like somebody, well, what about, you know, the rest of them? Yeah. You know, because I've, I've met people like that where it's like, yeah, everybody sees me this way, but I don't feel like that's who I really am. But they seem to like that. They seem to give that part a lot of attention. So, right. You know? Yeah. So it's well, about being seen for our whole selves. Yeah. I think there's something really amazing about this podcast that you're doing because you're doing so well at it. And the name of it, Women Awaken, is similar to your name, Whitney Walker. I know. That's why I picked it. I wanted to use my name. For, well, originally it started for the website. I wanted to use Whitney Walker, but that wasn't available. So I was like, what else uses... Because I like alliteration yeah. and I like W's. I think W is a very powerful letter. I've always appreciated uh, that in my work. My... It's a Leo letter. So it's got a lot of fiery energy and you're here to wake us up. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's it's fun and it puts a spotlight on women. So I feel like there's something really intrinsically motivating about it for you, which is why it seems like it's going so well. Thank you. Well, I certainly love doing it. And I can I I intend to continue on because this I have to look more into my north node, but I feel like it's aligned with that sort of Taurus energy of like just deciding that you believe in something and having it be like a, you know, you have a method to it, you have a way to do it, you have your, you know, what you're really following. Yeah. Right. Yep. I would agree. And you know, you bring your Scorpio strengths towards your North Node. Mm. So your ability to connect with people is being used to build something. Oh, so I think that's yeah. the way it works. That's true. Well, thank you, Jean. I appreciate you giving a, you know, kudos to the the show. I really do love it. And I at this point, and I think you probably agree, Jean, I think we come into this work because we those of us who have the calling, once you get it, you can't really let go or do anything else. And I've really decided that like, this is how I will spend the rest of my life. I, I am a, a generator in human design. I, I, I've looked the rest of my chart, but not in depth. But I, I just have this desire to really churn and really get conversation, dialogue, get you know these things going in this realm of like, we can live in a different way. We yeah. can do it. And that's, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how to create much, but I know how I'm a good, I am good at generating conversation and talk and energy around how can we change? So that's, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's also very Torian to be building this women's kind of leadership instead of maybe looking at what you don't want and focusing on that. You're just tuning into what you do want and you're building it. Yes. That's Torian. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you're right there with me, building your your work and your purpose and helping others, helping others to heal and grow and be free. Yep. Cheers to freedom. Yay. And it. possibilities. Can you imagine what our world's going to look like when all this stuff starts to change and shift and we, whew, it's going to be gorgeous. A lot more fun. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I'm excited for that. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jean. That was lovely. This whole talk was lovely. Thank you for being a guest on the show. And if people want to find you, Jean, how can they find you? A website, link, social media? I would say LinkedIn. So Jean Jung, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jean Jung or Instagram, Jean Jung 8. Okay. J-E-A-N-J-U-N-G 8. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jean. Thank you, Whitney. It was a pleasure. Okay. Talk soon. Happy full moon and retrogrades. Yes. Be careful. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.